Bible reading today is from Luke 1, verses 67 to 80, under the title Zechariah's Song. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation for, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> well, here's the good news. I'm not a Catholic. Uh, <clears throat> I was reflecting on what Doug was saying, and I was thinking, isn't it great? The Catholics love their symbolism. I'm just going to move this because most people are over here today. Catholics love their symbolism. And obviously the 12 days of Christmas, a lot of that is symbolic. Isn't it interesting I'm taking leave during that time? Uh, it's wonderful that I'm coming back around the time that they remember the baptism of Jesus and his ministry. So I thought, oh, that's, that's my symbolism back at the Catholic Church to say, well, the priests would never go on holiday probably at this time. I can because I'm a good Reformed Baptist. All right, well, this morning we're going to continue in our, our series, the Songs of Christmas, and we're going to look at... Uh, the Song of Zechariah, which Stephanie just read for us. So let me pray, and, uh, and we'll have a look at this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful reality that we come across uh, in Zechariah's song, a man who was silenced for nine months and has burst into a, a prophecy uh, through song, uh, both about Jesus and John the Baptist, his own son. And Father God, I pray that now as we look at this, You'll give us a, a heart which is willing to be convicted, a heart which uh, is encouraged uh, to be able to live uh, fearlessly uh, in a world which wants to create fear. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I was a pastor here, I was a pastor up at Carratha Baptist Church. Carratha is a, a mining town uh, up in the north of, uh, of WA. You wouldn't be allowed to go there at the moment. Um, I wouldn't be able to get in or out of the state. Uh, but one of the first couples I met, so they did the, as you did, the, the meet and greet, and I got to preach, and I pulled out my best sermon, and you all thought I was a great preacher and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I did that up at Caratha, and, uh, and they flew us up there. We were in Sydney at the time. We flew us up seven hours. There was Obi, Ellie, and myself. And we got up there, and one of the first couples that we met was Bruce and Melissa. And Bruce and Melissa, uh, wonderful Christian couple, about my age, so very young. <coughs> and... Uh, and, uh, and, but they're in a very different life stage. So Bruce and Melissa had their kids very early. I've had my kids very late. Uh, so they, they had a couple of 
late teen, early 20 kids, a, a, a son and a daughter. Uh, and to ensure they didn't have any other children, they took lots of precautions, including an operation that Bruce went through. And, uh, and they were ready for the sunset life, early, re early no kids, looking, looking to the future. When Melissa got sick one morning, and uh, she went to the doctor, and the doctor announced some good news that usually brought great joy to all the parents. They were having a baby. Now, I can guarantee when Melissa broke the news to Bruce, he wasn't saying, oh, fantastic, I can give up my hobby room and we'll create a new nursery. Uh, he was quite astounded. He didn't know how it happened, which I know you should know how it happened, but all the precautions that were in place from 20 years ago had apparently reversed, and, uh, and there they were, about to set on when they were probably ready to be grandparents, to be parents again and they had a beautiful young daughter and apparently she slept through the night so it wasn't all that so all that bad but you see the first account of when you're given the first announcement of having a baby your response will very much reflect the circumstances of your life and the very first account that Luke gives us in his gospel is of Zechariah the priest being visited by an angel with the announcement that he's going to have a baby. Well, his wife is, but he's part of that. And they are going to have a baby. Now, his response is very much uh, considered as part, well, part of his response is very much because of his life circumstances. Now, he responds in a very wise, husbandly way, saying, I am old, but my wife is well along in years. Doesn't call her old. And, uh, and we learn later on uh, that, in fact, they couldn't have children. And so he was doubly astonished. He's like, well, how can this be? We've moved on from there. No doubt that they'd spent many nights crying out to the Lord and that they'd gone beyond that now. I would say that they had stopped that, that they had accepted the reality, they'd moved on with their life and they'd decided that this was God's will for their life. And, uh, and, and he, he responds uh, with, with disbelief to the angel. But his ability to talk is then taken away because of his disbelief. Now, it seems a bit harsh, uh, but at the same time, this is an angel in front of him. And God silences his mouth for nine months. Now imagine the joy that brought Elizabeth. But just imagine that, nine months of not speaking. You've just, you know you're going to have a baby and you can't even talk to anyone about it. You can't get excited about it with your mates. You can't talk about it at all. Uh, but for, for nine months, Zechariah has probably been listening and reflecting and considering all that God was now doing for him and his family. What would you say after nine months? Well, this morning we encounter what Zechariah says after nine months. And he bursts into a prophecy, a song, about the birth of Jesus and about the birth of his own son, John the Baptist. See, Zechariah is, is just overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And if you look at verse 67, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you look at just about every song we've looked at, at 
these wonderful bursts of song about the Messiah coming have been through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has changed the inner reflection of what's happening. Now, in this song, it's split into the two halves. The first part is about the Messiah, the, 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 the coming Saviour, and the second part is about John the Baptist. We're going to focus primarily on the first half uh, today. But just have a look at verses 68 to 71. It says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now he's reinforcing very much what Mary has already broken out in song and what Simeon and what the angels will say, and we've already covered, but will say in the next chapter. See, Jesus is the Emmanuel, the visiting of God, the Lord, to the earth to dwell amongst us, he says, because he has come to his people. He recognises that God, the Lord himself, is coming, has come to his people. And notice the past tense here. He recognises all the promises in this little baby that was to be born is going to be the fulfilment and god has come his promises has been promises have been fulfilled and again this reflects back to the exodus we can't, i'm not going to cover this again but we talked about this the last couple of weeks back to the exodus the saving of israel out of slavery to their enemy pharaoh and egypt and god has saved his people he's brought them back he's redeemed them with a price. But notice the remarkable change here in Zechariah. Nine months ago, he couldn't even believe that God was able to bring them a baby. Now, he's proclaiming that the salvation, the Messiah, has come. Now, only God can, can open someone's eyes like that. In fact, if we look at the way Luke has put together his book, you think of the first half here where we've got these big songs of praise when you've been overcome with the Holy Spirit. And if you think back forward to chapter 24, after the resurrection of Jesus, and the, the, some of the disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus, and they're just talking about, wondering about all these events and what they mean. And it says... Then, the eyes of their eye, then their eyes were opened to the truth and, Jesus and, and who he was. And then he explained to them through the holy prophets and the, and the scripture what all these things mean. So we shouldn't miss what's happening in this gospel here. The eyes get opened by God. We can proclaim all we want, but we sow the seed. It is for God to open the eyes and open the heart in order for people to be transformed. And this is what's happening here to Zechariah. In verse 69, Zechariah uses a term for Jesus we possibly haven't heard before. The horn of salvation. Have a look at verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, uh, his servant David. Now I have to admit, I used to think this was a musical instrument. 
I thought it was a reference to like a trumpet sound or a horn being blown for a victory, uh, announcing a battle or a victory. But the image is actually much different to that. And it's an image which should fill us with a great strength and a great confidence as we reflect on the coming of Jesus at Christmas and all that the salvation that he brings. Now, just to go back into the Old Testament, we come across this image of the horn back in Psalm 92, verses 9 and 10. It says this, For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. See, this isn't the image of a musical instrument. This is the image of a strong horn of an animal, and in this case, an ox. The horn is a sign of strength of the one that is strongest in battle. The one with the strongest horn will win the battle. Micah 4.13 says to Jerusalem, Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze. And you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. If you remember back to our Daniel series, the small horn rising up in the midst of all the other horns. It is the horn which is strongest, which will prevail. The one that is all-powerful, the one that is dominant. So the imagery of horns signifies a strong ruler. And in this case, we're talking about iron. We're talking about uh, a strong horn of victory. Now, I always think of those nature shows and you've got either rams, which is imagery all through through Daniel, but rams or or it might be deer or, or whatever it might be, but they've got those huge huge circular horns they just seem to go on and they come together and they just smash and eventually what they're doing is protecting their family or trying to take over the family the alpha males are fighting it out and the strongest horn will prevail the one that either breaks or the one that is too afraid of the what's facing them will give over whatever it is to the other person And notice that in verse 70, it says here that the raising of this horn of salvation was prophesied by the holy prophets long ago. Well, Psalm 132 verses 17 to 18 says this, Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown a horn like iron from the ancestry of David. See, this is all imagery pointing to the horn of salvation, the most mighty, the one who is coming. And we know here it's Jesus. And we're talking about a descendant of David the king. This is the future king, the Messiah that's coming. If you remember the problem with Israel was they asked for a king. They said, why can't we have a king like all the other nations have a king? And that was effectively saying to God, you are not good enough as our king. Because until that point, the Lord was their king. 
They didn't need an earthly king because Yahweh was their king. And Samuel, the prophet, says to them, you ask for a king, if he grants you a king, you're in all sorts of trouble because the king will demand so much of you. The king will demand your very life. You shouldn't ask for a king. So God grants them a king. And there's Saul, and then there's David. And even the king after God's own heart, David, well, he sends Uriah the Hittite to the front line to be murdered, effectively, to cover up David's adultery with Bathsheba. See, the problem with a human king is they are human. And they aren't going to lead in righteousness and truth in the fullness that Yahweh their God can, that the Lord will. But even in the midst of all this, in 2 Samuel 22.3, David acknowledges that the Lord is the true king. He says, My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my saviour. From violent people you save me. And in Psalm 18.2, he says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. See, even the, 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 the king of Israel, the one that they all look to as the king after God's own heart, recognises that he is, he is not worthy. In Psalm 51, he acknowledges that as he repents of his adultery to Bathsheba. And he recognises that even from even from um, he, when he was uh, conceived in his mother's womb, womb, he had sin. See, David is acknowledging that God is ultimately both his defense and his offense in his life, the horn of his salvation. So why is Jesus the horn of salvation? It's not because of the musical instrument but because Jesus is the deadly weapon. Haven't often thought of him like that, have you? I want you to cast your mind off from the, from the little baby Jesus that we love to um, gloat over. The, the lamb stroking Jesus that is all nice and happy with the lambs all the time. Here he's a warrior. He is the warrior that is going at the head of his army. Is he compassionate? Absolutely. Is he the one who gently speaks to the woman caught in adultery? Absolutely. But here the imagery is a horn of salvation, a mighty warrior who is going before his people to conquer the enemy the one who thunders at the head of his army, the one who will lay down his life for his army, for the people he is leading in order to defeat the enemy. So we mustn't miss the fullness of who Jesus is. He's not just brother and friend. He is master and Lord, the head of the army, the head of the Lord's army. Yes, he's compassionate, but he is the mighty warrior, unbreakable, undefeatable, 
all-powerful. And the goal of God's redemption is to raise up this horn of salvation. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. See, the enemies might be those who are persecuting the church on the, in, in the world today. Might be real enemies that we come face to face against. And we don't have it much here. But I can guarantee all around the world there are Christians who at any moment could lose their life for bearing the name of Jesus. There is activity happening in our world to completely squash the Christian church, to completely squash anyone who bears the name of Jesus because it threatens all the power of men. All the kings of the earth should be threatened by this reality that we bear the name of the all-powerful, all-conquering warrior, Jesus, the one who truly is in control of all things. But ultimately we know he's not just defeating the human kings of the earth, but behind all this, all this corruption, all this human sin, is the evil one, the deceiver, the tempter, the one who is seeking to undermine the power of the Lord, and that is the devil himself. But what is the goal of all this for us? Why does it matter that we have a warrior king? Why does it matter that the horn of salvation has been born at Christmas? Well, verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. Without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. To serve our warrior king without fear. And when I lived in Kununurra, so this is before Karatha, but Kununurra is in the tropics, it's crocodile country. I'm, I'm sure I know I've spoken about it over constantly. But if you think of crocodiles, and you think of all these wild animals, you think of tigers, you think of lions, eventually you come across a zoo where a zookeeper is sitting there and patting his nice little lion or patting his nice little tiger or whatever it is. Most animals can be tamed. But I tell you, you will never go to a zoo and see someone sitting next to a crocodile patting it. Crocodiles are our enemy. I have never known anyone to be happy about a crocodile being near them. And even those like the crocodile hunter, well, they've either just fed it a big bison and so they get close to it just like this. But crocodiles are not your friend. And before we ended up in Kununurra, a year before I went there on mission with our college, and there was about 12 of us on mission, and there was a lovely girl on our mission team, Hoi. She's now a, a missionary in Japan who, who's doing wonderful work over there. But I'll never forget, 100 k's out of, uh, out of Kununurra is Wyndham. And Wyndham, uh, it's, it's the gateway to the ocean, if you like, and so the water's all murky, uh, it has eight-metre tides and there's floating pontoons. Anyway, there's this, there's this Aboriginal fella and he's, he's fishing on this pontoon. And then Hoy goes onto the... <laughs> I'll never forget this. She goes onto the pontoon and she goes over to the edge and starts splashing her face with the water. Now, I tell you, it's murky. There's crocod saltwater crocodiles right through that water. And, he, and we all just start yelling, Hoy! Get away. There's a guy fishing there. 
He's a local fella. What's he doing? Well, there's this big metal barricade. He's got his fishing line in and he's literally fishing like this. Because he knows crocodiles are our enemy. There's nothing that will tame a crocodile. And if a crocodile gets a scent of anything that's living anywhere near that water, it will come out of nowhere and you have no hope. Occasionally someone gouges an eye out of a crocodile and that's what you hear. But you don't hear about all the other ones, I tell you. Crocodiles are our enemy. And I tell you, if someone would have come to me any time at our time in Kununurra and said, hey, I've got a device, I've got something, that if you have that with you, that's going to keep all the crocodiles away from you. They won't come within a kilometre of you. They won't even... In fact, they are the ones who should shrink away in fear because this device uh, sends out whatever it is and that they won't come anywhere near you. Well, I tell you, I would be going in the water confidently. I would be catching more barra. We'd be able to hang over the side of our boat and put our hands in the water. It would be such a different life. Waterfalls, all the water holes, you wouldn't be constantly asking, oh, are the crocodiles in here? It would be wonderful to have something which you knew completely repelled your enemy, completely defeated it. Well, that's the offer of the horn of salvation. When we are in relationship with him, we need not fear the enemy. The enemy is afraid of him. In fact, as he walked the earth and he encountered evil spirits that were in men, were in women, they knew exactly who he was. What are you going to do with us? Leave us alone because he is the Lord of all things. And when we are with him, we do not need to fear the devil. We do not need to fear the enemy. And even in death, they will not conquer you because your hope is fully secured by the one who thunders at the head of his army and has died on the cross for the conquering of sin and death once and for all. You have no fear. There is no need to fear. Romans 8 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. People can't look upon you and judge you because you know you've been completely cleansed. You shouldn't fear man. You shouldn't fear the world. And you shouldn't fear the devil. You can stand confidently as you go and proclaim and serve the horn of your salvation without fear and in righteousness and holiness. See, the compassionate one is the warrior one. The merciful one is the mighty horn that defeats the enemy of those who seek and love him. We can walk with confidence, even in our insecurities, even in our failures, even in our doubts. We don't have to fear anything because even the worst thing has been defeated. If you think about Zechariah, the change in him, he is now proclaiming the horn of his salvation after not even believing that the Lord could give him a baby. The apostle Peter was the same. What did he do? Jesus 
died on the cross, he denied him three times, he went back to his fishing. That's where Jesus found him after he was resurrected. Basically says, he doesn't say this, but basically says, Peter, what are you doing fishing? Here I am. It's almost like he has to say, come follow me again. And he restores him. Love my sheep. Take care of my flock. Love my sheep. And what do we see Peter do? The encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He has no fear of what the proclamation of the Messiah will bring him. Acts 2, Pentecost comes. Peter proclaims, This Lord, Acts 2, verse 38, This Lord who you have crucified, you have crucified, is both Lord and Christ. Do to me what you will, but you cannot take away what he has won for me. And that is the future of my hope and salvation beyond this life. See, let us not shrink back in faith. Christmas is a reminder to us that once and for all, our horn of salvation, the Messiah, the promised King, the true King, the all-powerful, all-merciful, all-loving King has once and for all come and secured our future when we put our faith in him. The prophet Joel is the one who says that Jesus the warrior thunders at the head of his army, his forces beyond number, and mighty his army that obeys his command. Don't shrink back. Let's face this next year. Let's face the future without fear and with great confidence as we serve the one who has paid the ultimate price for us all. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful reality that Zechariah brings us. Thank you that we don't have to doubt or question just how strong our Messiah, our Lord is. He's not just the loving, gentle, caring person that we like to reflect upon but he's also the powerful warrior that goes before us at the head of his army paving the way for the path that he's put in place for us father god i pray that we will confidently go behind his call upon our life to serve him without fear and particularly this next year lord i pray that you will thunder at the head of our church and that you will create a path which is so clear for us and we will take hold of that and fearlessly go into it, ready to build your kingdom despite the opposition, despite the persecution, despite what may come. Lord, help us to do this in holiness and righteousness with great confidence because we acknowledge that you are the all-powerful one who has conquered all that opposes us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.